Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Not proud, but that was me And when I face it, I take back A little dignity Not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I'm the author of the recovery blog on Pickled. I tell my story there, and I invite you to share your stories here. Well, the bond between mother and daughter is complicated and intricate under the best of circumstances. On this episode, we welcome a mother and daughter who are experiencing healing and redemption in their relationship. Leslie and her daughter Amy join us to share their story. Ladies, welcome to the Bubble Hour. Hi, Jean. Thanks. Hello. 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 I'm glad that you're here today. Um, And I guess we'll just kick it right off. Leslie, I'd like to start with you. You recently celebrated one year of sobriety this summer. Congratulations. Thank you. And um, I guess we'll just start with asking you to share a little bit about yourself and what led you to where you are today. Okay. I'm going to read a little thing that I wrote, which is easier for me. So, hi, everyone. My name is Leslie, and I'm here to tell you my story. Fourteen months ago, I got sober. I didn't even realize I had a problem. Sure, I drank a lot and often, but I went to work every day, and I lived my life, and I enjoyed it. In the summer of last year, my daughter Amy came to me and asked if I would like to meet an addictions counselor that she'd been talking to. Well, of course I didn't, but she said she was concerned with my drinking and would I do it for her. So I did. It wasn't easy, and I wasn't pleased. I was embarrassed, I felt humiliated, and quite frankly, kind of pissed off. The addictions counselor met with me a couple of times with my girls, and she told me quite bluntly, if I didn't stop drinking, I would die. That kind of resonated with me, as you can imagine. The thing is, I did know I was in trouble. I knew the drinking was getting out of hand, and I was trying to stop on my own. My doctor had mentioned my liver enzymes were pretty high, and did I think I should cut down on the alcohol. I was starting to alienate myself from social functions and interactions with other people. I felt like I was being closed into a small room, like the rooms were closing in on me. But... I was convinced I could control it in the same way I controlled my food intake, discipline, no drinking during the week, only two glasses, etc., etc. That's all it would take. Well, that was not working. I would talk myself into my reward as easily as I would tell myself I could stop. You see, I used alcohol as a reward. I never drank before five, except maybe on holiday. I rarely drank at lunch if I went out with work friends or people. I never drank at work. It was my reward for doing a good job, my reward at the end of the day. That's how I used it. It was also my way to get over being shy at parties or feeling like the awkward one. It helped me be the person I wanted to be, funny, brave, talkative, a little bold, and maybe less of a doormat, less of a yes person. And I guess it helped mask the pain caused by not being all those things, although I didn't know I was in pain till I got therapy and rehab. Anyway, when the counselor asked me if I'd like to go to rehab and my daughters begged me to, I said no at first, still in denial, of course. But honestly, I knew deep down that it was the only way I could escape from the hold that alcohol had on me, so I did. It was the best thing I've ever done for myself. It turned my life around. It wasn't easy, and it was all the things I knew it would be, but I did it, and I haven't had a drink since I entered that place 14 months ago. I made my decision to quit drinking, and I did. And you know what? I'm glad. I didn't realize how horrible I was feeling and looking 
and being to myself and others until I came out the other side. I never want to be that person again. I didn't know that I could easily be the person I thought alcohol made me without it. Who knew? And the best thing is my girls are so happy to see the real me. And that's what I broke when I was thinking about this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to ask you some more questions um, in a few minutes. But before I do... Amy, I'm going to ask you to share a little bit about your perspective of this experience. Sure. Um, Well, firstly, I wanted to say I'm really excited to be on the show because without listening to the show, um, my mom wouldn't be here talking about her sobriety. So um, I just wanted to say thanks for having us and also thanks to you and all the other hosts um, for doing this show for so long because it was a huge help. it was actually the that first awesome. thing I started. Pardon? That is awesome. That makes me yeah. burst. <laughs> it's the first thing. Um, it was the first thing that I actually started. Sort of, I found unpickled um, your blog, Jean, um, because in the winter of 2014, so the winter before the summer, um, my mom went to rehab. Um, she had fallen. Uh, leaving her Christmas party, office Christmas party, um, and later told me that, you know, it wasn't that she slipped on the ice, as she had told us when she first told us about it. It was actually that she had, she thinks she blacked out, passed out. She just didn't, she was walking to hail a cab, and the next thing she knew, she was on the ground, and and then she was in the hospital. Um, And luckily, she didn't injure herself seriously. She cut her head, and, but she went to the hospital and went home, and but she wanted to drink when she got home. Um, and it was Christmas holidays, so my sister and I were, were at her house when she got home. And, you know, after the initial crying, and she was really ashamed and upset, understandably, she said, okay, I'm just going to pour myself a glass of wine. And we were just like, oh, God. like, uh, And just in a grander scheme of things that I went home after that Christmas holiday, just having this feeling, my own personal feeling, that I couldn't really ignore it anymore. I couldn't just let it go to the back of my mind. It was getting bad enough that I I felt that I had to do something. I had to try to do something, but I didn't know what the first thing was to do. And so I started talking to my friends and one of my really good friends, Brooke, uh, when I told her the story three weeks later, she said, it sounds like your mom might, might need to go to treatment. And when she first told me that, I thought, no way. Is that ever going to happen in a million years? That is not going to happen. And I remember walking home that day from meeting her, just going over her words in, your, in, in my head, your mom might need to go to treatment. And it was like this ridiculous concept. And I couldn't begin to explain to my friend how impossible that would be. Um, but I decided that I would start researching um, about it and about alcoholism and sobriety. And so that very night I typed sobriety blog into Google and then I found um, Unpickled. And I started reading and I think I read, you know, very late into the night and all all day the next day. And then I, I found the bubble hour and then I started listening. And for the rest of the winter, I think I listened to two episodes a day until I had gotten through every single episode that was available on the uh, iPod app. Um, I I think I've listened to all of them now. But so that was the beginning of me, me accepting that she could get help because it wasn't just that, you know, whether or not she wanted to, but it was the fact that I didn't even know um, what was possible and what was out there and how it works and how to go about it. So that's where I started. I just started researching and trying to learn as much as I could <clears throat> in, um, in the idea of that I, if, if, I, if I learned enough, maybe I could try to help her. So um, that spring I moved in with her because, and I feel like I'm lucky. Um, and before I tell the whole story, I just want to say I, I do feel like I'm lucky because I was in between careers. So I was ending um, a career that I had been in for nine years 
I was 28 at the time. I'm 29 now, and I've, I've gone back to school <clears throat> um, for a really cool carpentry program, but I had been working in the food industry, and so I was leaving a career. I was starting school. I had nothing on the go. So it was spring. I didn't start school until September, so I had this whole five, six months chunk of time, and I said, just made the decision. I'm going to move in with my mom and just, you know, when I first made that decision, just see what's going on because I knew it was getting bad, but we, she lived in Ottawa. I lived in Toronto. We were four hours apart and I only saw her, you know, once every couple of months. So I decided I would move in with her and see what was going on, quote unquote. And what was going on was kind of scary. Um, So yeah, I don't know. I guess I just kept educating myself. I eventually, um, through listening to Bubble Hour, I watched um, Sherry, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, Van Decker's movie, um, My Name Was Betty, and it was a documentary that she did about her mother, who who unfortunately passed away um, from alcoholism, and it was a really educational movie about just the effect it has, the effect that alcohol has on women's bodies, um, scientifically like their hormones and their reproductive system and circulation and their brain and all that stuff and it, it really kind of helped me realize that it wasn't my mom it was actually just something that she was suffering from it wasn't her so that really helped me kind of finalize my education at least the little education that I was getting enough to feel like I could help her. So I looked into seeing, and like I just started Googling addiction counselor, um, uh, intervention counselor, and I found wonderful woman um, in the city that my mom and I were living in, which is Ottawa, and she um, is an addiction counselor, I guess. I don't know what her official title is, but she does... um, intervention of sorts so I started talking to her and I also was emailing the bubble hour Um, I emailed Eugene and you got back to me with some really supportive conversations and 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 Sherry as well and I just you know I reached out that is what I did I reached out I talked to as many people as I could Um, and eventually Catherine um, the addiction counselor um, suggested we meet and then while all this was happening, my mom was still active, um, actively drinking, um, but she would have moments, we would have nights where we'd be sitting together in her apartment because I was living with her, and she would be drinking and, um, you know, would start when she got home and go until she was too drunk for me to be able to hang out with her anymore, and then I would go to my room. Um, but one of these nights we were watching a movie or something, and we had a conversation, and, it was, and this happened a few times in the five months that I was living with, with her, um, where I would see this, there would be almost like a breakthrough, like someone would pop a bubble and it would be really her talking to me and she would say, I know I need to get help. I want to see a therapist. I'm, I'm going to get help. I know this is dragging me down. And I would, you know, learn all the new exciting lingo that I had learned, like you're not alone, um, <laughs> your, this disease is not to find you, blah, 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 blah. And I was trying to be a little therapist to her, but I was trying to give her what I thought at the time was enough confidence to do something. Um, but of course it wasn't really working. So she, she, we would have these moments and I would cling to them and say, okay, she's going to get help. It's, it's going to happen. And then, but then, you know, slick as, as you've called her in other episodes or the disease would come back and she would be nasty or just kind of belligerent and, or just, you know, leave me alone, stop criticizing me, you know, the next night it would be back to couldn't reason with her, and it wasn't really her, because in all these conversations I'm talking about, she was drinking, so I would just keep getting these glimmers of hope, and at one point I, we had had kind of a bad week together, we weren't getting along, you know, I thought she was being nasty towards me, and I was sick of living with her in her apartment and seeing her so sick, and I, I went away to visit um, family friend, and I had a conversation with my sister and the family friend, and we decided, I don't think this is going to happen. I don't think I can do it. It's, she's not going to respond. She doesn't seem grateful. She doesn't seem like she wants to 
go along with it. So why am I bothering? Why are we bothering? Why are we going to do this to ourselves? It's too much, you know, put yourself first, all that kind of stuff. And there are even people that I talked to, not right at that time, but people that knew her really well that had told me in the past, um, you just have to accept, Amy, that she's not going to get better. You know, and there are people that told me, don't bother, put yourself first. You can't solve her problems. And, and some of those statements are true. But so at that moment, I decided to give up. And but then... I can't remember now because it was last summer, but let's say two weeks later, I would have another moment with her where it would, this electric current would come between us and she would be really speaking to me and I would just get re-energized about it. And Catherine actually emailed me because I had written to her months prior when we talked on the phone. And she just emailed me out of the blue and said, hi, Amy, how are things going with your mom? Did you want to meet with me? And so it was in that moment that I decided, okay, I'm going to go for it. And I don't know, I'm kind of rambling at this point, but we went and saw Catherine, the addiction counselor, uh, myself, my sister, and my mom. Somehow we got got her there, and that was really scary. How are we going to get her to go? She's definitely going to say no. Um, But she came because I still believe that she was in there somewhere, and she did want help. So... We got to that initial meeting with Catherine, and honestly, the rest is kind of history. She went to um, a 28-day treatment facility about an hour from Ottawa, and we took her there, and it was a really tough day. Um, (laughs) I don't have any kids, but... uh, (laughs) it made me think maybe this is what it's like to bring your child to kindergarten on the first day because she got there and there was this moment that I'll never forget. And sometimes I still cry when I think about it where she looked up at me and she, and she said, please don't leave me here. And I think it's uh, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do was um, drive away and leave her there and just hope that, you know, well, I knew I was doing the right thing, but hope that it was going to be the right thing for her um, because everyone's different and you know, maybe it wouldn't work for her. So, um, but it did. And we came back, you know, we weren't allowed to see her for the first week or 12 days or something. And um, we came back and saw her um, once a week on Sundays for the whole time that she was there. Um, and it was just amazing to see the change and to see um, our mom come back and kind of, was shocking to realize how far away she was from us. Like even we didn't notice um, how how bad it was and how much her true self was just kind of buried um, in this issue, this disease. I know not not everyone wants to call it a disease. I call it a disease. But we got our mom back, and it felt like she had been gone so long. Um, and I still, when I see her, I feel like, wow, this is my mom. This is the mom that I remember. Um, cause she's 63 now and uh, I'm almost 30 and it was kind of like, she, it was the mom I remember from when she was 40, you know, like beautiful, healthy, vibrant, smiling, like doing all the things that she likes to do because by the end, um, before she got help, it was kind of like, she didn't want to do anything. She didn't want to go anywhere. She just wanted to go home be in her spot with her special cup and left alone so it was really amazing and her face has completely changed her body has completely changed um her eyes are blue again and it took me a really (laughs) long time to realize that was Mm -hmm. because the whites of her eyes are actually white because her eyes were just yellow and red and her skin is plump and you know, she's giving herself a hard time about maybe her body looks different than when she wasn't eating, but because she wasn't eating towards the end. And I don't know if you want me to share that, Mom, but that was another, like, major sort of thing that I couldn't ignore anymore was when she came to me and said, oh, I can't eat. When I first moved in with her, she said, yeah, I'm not eating much anymore. It just hurts my stomach. And I was like, okay, this is, like, <laughs> but it's hard, to, it's hard to live with um, someone that's, someone that's in that situation because you start Mm -hmm. to feel like you're crazy because they don't think anything's wrong and you're like am I crazy this is really there's something wrong like why is no one 
and it was and it was tough because she would talk to her sister and or see her sister or see her friend and no one else I felt like alone like am I the only person that sees that there is something seriously wrong here mm-hmm. like does no one else care so mm-hmm. anyway that's I guess the start of it wow you um you took an approach and I I think it was just instinctive for you. I don't know that you knew you were doing the right thing, but even um, when you wrote to me and we sort of first started talking about this, I, I'm pretty sure, um, I didn't go back and read all of our emails, but but I'm pretty sure that what I would have told you would have been, you know, you can't do it for her, um, but you can create opportunities and be loving and accepting. And, and I really, even just as you talk all about this, what I I've, I thought it was really wonderful how you you kept your focus on your mom and you wanted to educate yourself as much as possible about what she was going through and you didn't make it about you, like why are you doing this to me? You really made an effort to mm-hmm. understand where she was at and and I wonder for you, Leslie, if that um, if that kind of sort of acceptance or did, did you feel that sort of acceptance and um, caring? Could you, could that get through to you? Were you feeling that coming from Amy? Oh, ab- ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. When she told me about the, the documentary that she'd watched about the woman whose daughters tried to help her and she ended up dying in a squat somewhere in Toronto um, from in alcoholism. In the States, darling? Oh, sorry. And and that really resonated with me and and like I said, through my in my own journey, um, I knew I was in, in deep trouble. And but you you are in this denial. It's mm-hmm. like, no, there's nothing wrong with me. No, I'm not drinking that much. But inside you know you are. And mm-hmm. when both girls sort of pinpointed this we're scared for you mom we don't want you to die mm-hmm. um that's sort of when i realized yeah this is this is taking control of me this is getting worse um i was on the i i think on the brink of descending into um not being able to keep a job and m- maybe um if if i'd kept going that was the future i had and I didn't want that for them, and of course I didn't want it for me. Mm-hmm. So that's when I made myself go see Catherine, okay. and that was the beginning of. And and I didn't like it, and I was not happy, and I was rather grumpy, but <laughs> um, that was the beginning of of the the movement to turn my life around and restore me to me. Did you? And, yeah. did you sorry, I'm, Go ahead. on my end, things are cutting out, so I'm not sure if it's... Sometimes it cuts out on my end and then the recording turns out perfectly. So um, so I, I just missed a little bit of what you just said. I'm going to have you repeat it, if you don't mind. Oh, um, just that... that, um, that initial visit with the addictions counselor and speaking to her and realizing that my future was going to be glum it it mm-hmm. yes i did feel the love and and the connection and the caring from my girls yeah. you know i didn't feel i mean certainly i felt um humiliated and put upon and um yeah i don't have a problem i don't know why you're bugging me about this but i did i i made the step because I knew that's what they wanted, and I knew deep down that's what I wanted. Yeah. Did you find at all that you had an idea in your head of what an alcoholic looked like, and you you didn't fit that picture? Oh, absolutely. That I see of... them all the time downtown, you know, <laughs> hanging around the mission. Well, that's what alcoholics are. Right. Um, and yeah. I, I learned I learned that that's not so. In, in and of course you learn quite a bit in in uh, rehab, but yeah, I did definitely have a an image of what an alcoholic was, and it wasn't me. And Amy, I I feel like you must have had that 
enlightenment as well as you read blogs and listened to podcasts and and heard. I mean, I'm I'm always amazed every single guest that comes on this show, whether it's a high bottom or a low bottom, or you know, they they are all people that I think I would never have guessed. Like. I thought it was amazing that I was an alcoholic. I had it so together, you know. And um, it was a wonderful revelation to realize that, well, wonderful and sad, right, that so many of us who you'd never guess are going through this. And did that help you, Amy, to start to realize that, okay, I'm not crazy, I'm not the only one who sees this? Or what was it that started to Um, build your acceptance? uh, I think the biggest thing for me was that I realized that there was a recovery community out there. I didn't know anything existed to help people other than Alcoholics Anonymous. The only thing I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous was that my mom said she didn't like it. She didn't like going. And that's fine. Not everyone likes it. But I had no idea that there was this whole accepting world of people that were in recovery and that there were retreats and there were groups and there were blogs and there were podcasts and Mm-hmm. I just realized, you know, she's not alone. And yeah. if I could just connect her to that world, then maybe she could be like all the people that I'd heard on your show that actually got help. So, yeah. <clears throat> so I knew that she, is true. I knew. Go ahead. I was going to just say that um, I think some people think like, well, they only know of a 12-step program, and it's a good program. I mean, millions of people have changed their life with that program. But mm-hmm. if someone mm-hmm. decides, you know, you know what, that's not for me, or, you know, I, I too, I researched that program. I was like, oh, I'm not really sure I can actually say that first step. Like, I'm not powerless, but I need to quit drinking, you know. And um, and then when you start digging, when, you, when, when you're ready to start looking, you realize what else is there. But I think too many mm-hmm. people stop at rejecting the only option they think they have. And then that keeps them drinking until they run out of choices. So mm-hmm. um, I'm really glad that you found alternatives. And I'm curious about your counselor. Um, do, do you mind sharing a little bit of, of what some of the process was like for you? I mean, I know you went to rehab and that was essential. And then what have some of the, what have you learned through counseling? What, how has that helped? Well, um, it, it was. I guess it was kind of like Amy's um, revelations through um, blogs and and um, th- uh, online things that she went through. It was just the the literature out there and the support. And um, um, and when I went to rehab, I realized that there were people out there that um, were the same as me. Um, that I I wasn't some pariah, I wasn't some horrible person, I just was a a person with an addiction or a disease or whatever you want to call it. Um, And I guess it really helped to um, say, yeah, I can can beat this. This is not going to get the best of me. I don't want it to get the best of me. And... um, all kinds of resources and and um Catherine was just magnificent at pulling pulling out answers and and so were the counselors when I was in rehab it was um a terrific program and I'll be thankful every day till the day I die that I did it <laughs> I know. so that's a long that's a that's a big shift in attitude from from what Amy described at the beginning when you said, don't leave me here, how quickly did you go from not wanting to be there to feeling like it was where you needed to be and finding it a good experience? I'd say within 48 hours. It was that powerful. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if it was because um, of the people there Pardon me, or because I just decided, okay, I'm here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to embrace it, and it's going to change my life. But I would mm-hmm. say within 48 hours, I was comfortable being there. Now I'm, I'm normally not comfortable in strange places or with strange people, um, so it was a, a bit hard. 
But yeah. um, I got to say, within 48 hours, I was like, yeah, let's do this. Hmm. What was the detox process like for you? Did you feel sick? Nope. No, was- I um, I had but 70, a 72-hour detox before, uh, like I, I left, I was at a, a, a cottage in, in camp and I left there and I had 72 hours to detox and then I was into rehab. So it was only 72 hours and I didn't, I was like, okay. And actually I was kind of surprised that I could go 72 hours without drinking, but. Without a drink. It, did it, you. But honest did to you, God, it was easy. Yeah, you were ready. You were ready. Yeah. yeah. Was it, um, I might have missed this, but was it a medically supervised detox or were you on your own unsupervised? No, I was on my own. Oh, okay. Okay. I just, so like, you knew, Saturday yeah. was the day I started my detox. Monday I showed up at rehab. So, yeah, I but was you, on my you own. you had spoken to your doctor, though. Like, it was, oh, yeah, was in a doctor. hospital, but, but she had spoken to her doctor about it. Yeah, my physician. Okay. It was doctor-guided sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, but it was just a matter of, okay, this day you stop drinking and you can't come into rehab unless you've been um, not drinking for 72 hours. I think it was 72 hours. Three days, right? Yeah. Something like that, yeah. And so I just said, okay, let's do this. So I mean, looking back on it, that's how I feel. Yeah, (laughs) it was go time. It was go time. Yeah. Do you think that was because you realized it was life or death? Did that hit home for you? Well, the, the um, therapist saying, if you don't stop, you'll die. Um, yeah. Like, not tomorrow, but eventually. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that really hit home. It was like, oh, well, I don't want to die. Hmm. Yeah, and, and the fact that um, I knew I was sick. I knew this not eating and this um, cutting myself off from everyone and just wanting to get home so I could have my drink. I knew that was bad. Yeah. Yeah. And I I knew I, I wanted to stop. Yeah. So what's it you like know, today so when go, you get home from work? What what's it like now? How does it compare? Um now I don't even really think about it. Yeah. I get home and I I do the same thing. I read my paper and and um I I don't really think about it. It's yeah. not something that exists in my life anymore. Right. So do you find that now, like, the pleasure is in reading the newspaper or in eating a nice dinner or in just being in your home? Well, i got to tell you, like, food is – food and I are, like, best friends now. <laughs> so it's wonderful to be eating food again. Um, Isn't it, and <laughs> I, Since I, I've gained about, I'd say, 25, 30 pounds, so – and most people say where. Um, so I was quite underweight and pretty scrawny. I know that mm-hmm. the first weekend the girls came and I walked out of the center to meet them, my youngest started crying because I looked so good. And that oh. was within two weeks wow. of just eating, you know. Yeah. So um, so my my relationship with food is is um back to a good thing and um yeah so when i come home it just it's it's all good you know i i found when i was in active addiction that i felt like i had blinders on in retrospect that the only good thing i experienced as good really was um was drinking and if i Absolutely. couldn't drink while i was doing it i didn't want to do it and I mean, yeah. I, I love my kids and I enjoyed my kids and I had, you know, I had pleasant moments in the day. But if you asked me at any given moment what I wanted, that was the only thing I came to want. And I remember thinking, like, did people actually just like watch TV and like drink tea? Like, are they OK with that? And did people just like <laughs> yeah. sit and talk like I couldn't even remember how to just do anything without alcohol anymore. I couldn't, I honestly couldn't imagine it, but I knew 
I knew there was people that did it, you know, and I knew that like, well, I used to be a little kid and I know I didn't drink then and I was happy. Exactly. So, um, yeah. But it really is hard to, it's hard to imagine. And do you catch yourself now thinking like, look at me not drinking? Is it still kind of a novel feeling? Um, yes and no. I'm, I'm damn proud of myself. You should be. Um, Congratulations. I um and I I yeah, sometimes I think I'll think, wow, it's fourteen months. Mm. Wow, I haven't had alcohol has not touched my lips in fourteen months. That is amazing. Um <laughs> at first I would deny that I was brave and, and wonderful and I did a good thing and look how strong I was. I would just say, no, come on. Like yeah. And I had friends that said, I had no idea. Yeah. That you had a drinking problem. None. They were surprised that I was going to rehab. Yeah. So, you know, the old disguise it well, I guess. Or, And like I, I still think I was on the brink of descending into total madness. Mm-hmm. I think I saved myself just in time. Sometimes the downside of that is that because, you know, friends and coworkers didn't see it, Sometimes they can undermine the recovery without realizing it by trying to be kind and saying, oh, you weren't that bad, or oh, you can probably have wine now, you know. And um, It does I happen, and hard. I say, yeah, I Would, say, um, actually, no, I can't, and I was that bad. Yeah. I know. You have to be um, and, like, and, grounded in yourself. Yeah, yeah, and you have people that say to you, yeah, you were pretty bad. <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I know, thanks. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> yeah, but I um, but I see what you mean. And when people say, oh, well, you could have a, a drink now, um, I say, well, I could, but I'm not going to. Because, yeah. and one of my my thoughts was rehab was very expensive. <laughs> and no one paid for it. I didn't have a plan. My my plan at work doesn't pay for rehab, which I think is a, a shame and a horrible thing. Yeah. Um, they pay for, st- you know, what do I call them, state-sanctioned rehabs, um, which probably are okay. But uh, So I have this picture in my head of this um, flashing sign with the price of rehab above the right. Right. Okay, go ahead. Take I, that I drink, to and this is what it'll cost you. And mm-hmm. That's what that drink costs. Uh, that's, yeah. that's a great way to think of it. I have to comment that we have a lot of listeners in the States, and um, people know that we have subsidized health care here in Canada, but they, so they think that all of our rehab is covered, and it's not. Um, no. As you say, there's acute care is covered. Um, if right. you, you know, if you are like put into emergency or onto the psych ward or something because of it, uh, you're looked after there. But um, the treatment is still expensive here, and um, uh, it is often paid for out of pocket, unless you're lucky mm-hmm. enough to have an employer or something that covers it. But um, it's right. it's not it's not all covered here, and that that is a great motivator to remember it that way. And there were people in my rehab whose employers paid for it, and I thought. Um, at one point I thought, well, you know, actually having to pay for it myself, maybe that was a good thing because where's the motivation if your employer pays for it and you can just blow it off? Right. I, yeah. I, could, I, I didn't feel I could. It, it right. cost me um, a lot of money, and um, that, was at the, that was at the beginning. Now I just love being this healthy. Yeah, Right. You know, it is. I, I it love is a wonderful this. thing. And, and like uh, I said in my statement, I don't ever want to be that person again, ever. Yeah. Well, you sound like you are the best version of yourself that you can be right now, and that's mm-hmm. what everybody wants, right? Like, I think even as right. we're drinking wine and feeling like we're having this great life, um, it's kind of what we want is to be our best self. And for some reason, we think that that's helping us get there, but. It's taking yeah. us farther away. It's, it's so, not, uh, not, uh, not when you drink to the extent that I did. I mean, certainly right. a glass or two of wine or a glass of champagne, that helps people 
get in the spirit or feel better, but not when it's ruling your life. Right. Did, but did it start out that way for you? Like, was it fun at first? Was it um, just a de-stressor at first? I mean, or did you yeah, did you drink so. alcoholically early on? Well, I've probably been drinking alcohol since I was in university, so 40-odd years. Mm-hmm. But and I don't recall it being a serious problem until the last, I say five years, the girls say ten. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give them that, ten years. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that the single most telling moment was this feeling of being the walls closing in on me. Yeah. And knowing that it was the alcohol that was doing it to me. That's just a little reminiscence on my part, but yeah. And yet feeling that Um, on its own wasn't enough to make you, to make you stop on, on it on your own at that point, but it was enough to make you willing to accept help when it was offered to you. Is that mm-hmm. fair to say? Yep. Yeah. Yep, that's fair. And I so I don't know me, if anybody I, can stop on their own. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So go ahead, sorry. Well, I'm curious as to, to today what what your family circumstance looks like today, like just the practical things, like do you do things differently amongst yourselves? And what do each of you do to support recovery within your family dynamic? Well, we hang out a lot more, don't we, Amy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, we, we actually go and do things now. Yeah. And they actually sit with me for the whole evening instead of disappearing into their rooms, which I thought was just because <laughs> they wanted to disappear into their rooms. But, yeah, they didn't want to be with me as they watched me descend into the evening um, shadow. I hate the word drug, fuzz. but person. Yeah. yeah, the evening fuzz, if you will. And that is um, wonderful. So what are some of the things that you enjoy doing? You say you do things more, you go out and you're more active, or what, what does that look like? Well, um, I guess like I've been up to Amy's place for, you know, a weekend and and it's been a lot more fun for her because I'm not drinking and so we interact a lot more, I guess. I I don't know, you'd have to ask Amy that. To me it seemed the same, but I um, Amy, what <clears throat> what's different for you? It just feels like uh for me it's like our mom is back. We have our mom back because before she wasn't really there. She didn't want to do anything. She just wanted to stay home. Do you want to go out for supper? No. Do you want to come stay with me for a weekend? No. Do you want to go to the movies? No. Do you want to go to a restaurant? No. Do you want to go for a walk? No. It was always no, 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 no. She was just chained <laughs> to her couch. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, was also, she, she, I was also sick. Yeah. Physically sick. The alcohol yeah. was was making me Yeah, no sick. energy. Yeah. Yeah, so she has energy now. And, for example, this summer she came out to my place um, in Perth, which is about an hour away from Ottawa, kind of a small country town. And she stayed at my house for the whole weekend. Um, and we actually hung out. We went to the rapids and went swimming, and we made dinner, and we ate dinner together, just eating dinner together and seeing her eat dinner Um and and stay up and play games and play cards and have it not descend into this uncomfortable feeling that it always did without fail um, is pretty amazing. And you're doing, mom, you're doing acting classes, which you love. Yes. <laughs> She's doing I'm stuff independently. Classes and and doing things that got put on the back burner because I just was either a too sick or too interested in being with my little buddy on the couch. Um, yeah. Wow. Acting classes? Yeah. That's Actually cool. Doing a voiceover class. So that's kind of fun. That's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. So so doing things that not that I didn't allow myself, I just didn't have the energy or the 
the, the I just didn't have the want to do it. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you can't. And I'm still well. getting. I'm. <laughs> I'm still getting used to it, honestly. That the fact that she has energy, it's still <laughs> almost every time. Like, oh yeah, I. You know, mom is actually there. I keep Aww. saying that, but it's just like every time I hang out with her, I'm like, oh yeah, we're actually gonna get to hang out with her for the evening and not someone else. I'm back in my eyes again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As Grandma used to say, back in my eyes again. Yeah. So you're back behind your eyes. You can, you're in there. Yep. Yep. So Amy, I have a tough question for you. What, what have Mm -hmm. you learned about your mom through this process? Um, hmm. What have I learned about my mom? Um, I guess I've learned that she, I guess the hardest thing to say is that she doesn't need me, um, that she, she can do it, you know, um, cause she is doing of course it I and need to. <laughs> she is capable of just of taking care of herself, um, because it's felt for a really long time that she can't take care of herself. So in fact, she can, when she's given, um, the help that she needed to get get the alcoholism under control. Um, but I've learned that she's actually a brave, outgoing, energetic woman um, mm-hmm. with a lot of interests, which I didn't see before or hadn't seen for a long time. Yeah. I don't know if that answers the question. That's awesome. And, Leslie, what did you learn about your daughter? Um, that I'll be grateful to her forever that she i this her path to get to where she finally took me by the hand and dragged me to Catherine's office um i didn't realize that she'd spent that long so i'm very impressed amy <laughs> i'm i'm very impressed i'll hold that in my heart for forever um That's a that whole lot of love you, yeah yeah i mean i never doubted they loved me like crazy cuz after all come on you know, fabulous. <laughs> but um, that what that is, yeah, that was um, a revel- uh, new to me. I didn't know you did that, Amy. Thank you. <laughs> and just putting up with me whilst I was going through the process of actually getting into rehab, and um, you know, the the pain of of me saying to her, "Don't leave me here." And I remember saying, "Don't leave me here." There's there's people with tattoos. <laughs> I, I don't know what I was saying, but um, yeah, I was I was pretty scared. These but, aren't my um, people. <laughs> yeah, these aren't my people. This is not my tribe. Um, I think I think it was a teamwork. I think of it as a teamwork. Like I kind of did some homework. I set up the appointments, and then she, you know, I. I I think I gently took you to Catherine's office. There was no <laughs> physical dragging. There was no but, dragging. You know, I'm just kidding. I there was no dragging. kind of just tried to point her, steer her around and point her in the right direction, and then she actually did the work, So, which, like you said, I can't do it for her. So I think we were I, together. I'll, I'll put it this way, though, um, Jean. I would not have done it if Amy and Brittany had not been there um, supporting me pushing me towards mm-hmm. recovery, helping me towards recovery, I probably would not, not have done it if I didn't have their support. Mm-hmm. And what was it? What what void were they filling for you? Like, what? why is that, do you think? Um, I think it comes back to what I said in my statement, and it's part of an alcoholic's denial. I didn't yeah. think I had a problem. You know, the, um, you you don't, you might wake up in the morning and you're hungover and you're not feeling good and you think, oh, God, I got a problem, I got to stop drinking. And then you get home at the end of the day and you think, well, geez, I feel okay now. Yeah. And then you drink and then you don't have a problem, man. You just don't. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm not abusing alcohol. I don't drink 
um, you know, 60 ounces of vodka a day. I just have my nice little glass of wine with ice in it. What's the problem here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I think that you convince yourself that you yeah. don't have a problem, and that's the biggest problem. You so know, with- and I really think there's there's a lot of biological aspect to it, too. Like, we train our brain that this is how it goes, right? Like, mm-hmm. this, if you look at a clock, and at 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock, it knows your your body and your brain start to know that this dose is coming, you know? Of, like have a lot uh, of dogs kind of thing. Uh, yeah. 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 And, and so then when you think about stopping it, your body's like, nope, this is, this is how it goes. You taught me that. And when you start trying to talk yourself out of it, like your brain is like, no, no, we need this. So you like, I think that's where the, some of the internal stuff comes from is whether you call it the addiction or the disease or the voice or wolfy. I mean, however, you know, whatever, um, system of understanding it you subscribe to, the, the, the process does really seem to be the same, that the the brain really fights to keep that alcohol coming, whether it's through justification or, or trickery. You, or, you forget the low um, yeah. in the onrush of the, of the high. Yeah, yeah. So when you've had your first glass of wine, you f- it goes away, that, that horrible feeling you had in the morning or, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that you've embarrassed yourself somewhere or um, you've done something that you normally wouldn't do. Um, and it's all about the high. Yeah. And, and or even just the the normal. Like it For me, it got I to guess. feel like I didn't feel normal if I wasn't drinking, so things weren't okay until I had a drink. And so I was just trying to feel okay, you know? It wasn't even that good. Exactly. <laughs> and I and I yeah I I can remember sitting there thinking I'm not really liking this why am I doing this yeah so is it the physical addiction is it the mental addiction there's all kinds of theories yeah um, yeah and and I, I was thinking about oh I had something that when you said no nope, it's gone oh well <laughs> um, it'll come back yeah it'll come back but yeah so you just um, you get lost in this this person. I I call him Slick. When, <laughs> when Slick shows his face, he's standing there at the end of the street, looking all good and you know <laughs> exciting, and and uh, there he is. And so I basically had to kick Slick to the curb. Say so you you're out of my life. Oh, and I love it. You know, if you can envision that handsome, little bit of a bad boy cowboy there that's just waiting for you, say, hey, hi, I'm back. <laughs> you know? so if you, hey, if you, hot stuff. Yeah. yeah. And you learn, can, like, he's just bad news, right? He's <laughs> just good. bad news. Come of a yeah. night with Slick. <laughs> yeah. No, no. You just got to tell him he's not allowed. And the, and the funny thing is, when I was in rehab, I wrote songs and I wrote poems. And uh, it was an um, an outlet for and and that kind of artistry, if you will. I'm I don't I'm not meaning to say I'm like a brilliant songwriter or anything, but I'd set that aside, um, and it just started pouring out. It was awesome. Oh, that's great. To be just sober enough to realize that that talent was there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know. It's amazing what yeah. bubbles up when we create space for it. We yeah, only exactly. have a few minutes. We only have a mm-hmm. few minutes left, and I'd like to hear from each of you. We'll start with you, Leslie. Just what words of encouragement do you have for other families that are in the same position? Get help. Reach out. Talk to someone. Get help. Set your feet on the path to to being healthy and getting yourself back and. Yeah. Tell Slick to take a hike. <laughs> like I just I just um if I hadn't reached out, if I hadn't made that step, albeit, you know, not wanting to, but if I hadn't made that step, um I wouldn't be here talking to you today. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. the most important thing is take that step. 
great. Any way Thank you, you can. Amy, how about you? Um, <clears throat> I think I would say two things. I would say reach out and, you know, however you want to. Um, it worked for me to just start researching, start looking for resources, start emailing people you don't even know that run a podcast mostly in the States and just send them an email, <laughs> tell them your story, and maybe they'll write back because um, that happened to me and it was amazing. And so just reach out and also don't give up because I almost gave up. Scary to think I was literally a whisker away from from not helping her. Um, and I want to say I understand that some people do have to give up because some people, I feel lucky my mom did go through with it and some people won't. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I think it's worth a try. And that's what I decided at the end of the day was I told myself maybe this won't work. Maybe she will relapse. Um, but at least I can sleep at night knowing that I tried my hardest. And yeah. I tried my hardest, and that was what happened. And so you should try your hardest doing whatever you feel works for you. Um, and then, you know, then it's out of your hands. So just believe in yourself. Believe in what you can do and what works for you, and then just see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you both so much for sharing your story and and um, being part of this today. I love that it came full circle that that this podcast helped you and now here you are paying it forward by sharing your story. That's amazing. Pretty amazing. And, Pretty amazing. Yeah. And um and I know it, it's hard um I know it can be delicate to to share how you feel about each other with each other on the line. And uh, and I so uh, you know it's always hard to be vulnerable and and talk about your journey, but double hard I think to put yourselves out there with each other like this. And so I'm I'm really grateful you were willing to do that, and and um and I know that it'll really help someone. So thank you both so much. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, you're welcome. And listeners, if you heard something in Leslie and Amy's story that spoke to you, um, please come. feel free to write to me here. The email address is thebubblehour at gmail.com. And um, if there's something you would like to share with Leslie and Amy, um, send it on to me and I'll make sure that they get it. And um, I'm grateful that all of you are listening and I'm grateful for the circle of of um, give and take that is the bubble hour and that just is the whole recovery experience. And so with just a great big heart full of gratitude, um, I thank everyone for participating and listening. And um, I guess I'll say until next time, take good care. Strong, cause you keep it all inside.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.